This is Tony. And this is Matt. And this is What Did We Miss? The podcast where we explore our pop culture blind spots one episode at a time. It took a month off. <laughs> yeah, it feels like it, it feels like it's been a while. Yeah, it ha- it does feel like that. I'm not going to say it because then it will, you know what will happen. No. If we say what you, okay. What's going to happen? You say it's been a while and like that awful song oh, is kind of like. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, the Bee Gees. Um, yeah, we, we were just tied up. I think uh, work was kind of busy for me. Uh, work was starting back up again mm-hmm. for you. And we, um, yeah, we just took a little breather. We did not succumb to pod fade. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. We're, we're still here. We got plans. Yeah. Yeah, man. I think we're just usually so far ahead and we've gotten pretty comfortable with recording right before an episode goes up so we could be a little more um topical or at least we're not talking about snow in in, in the episodes like it comes out <laughs> in the summer <laughs> right right <laughs> right exactly so speaking of topical and our show uh it was just announced today that the venture brothers will get to conclude yeah properly yeah that's exciting we're gonna get a movie it's very exciting stuff yeah i'm really happy mm-hmm. about that um uh, if you've listened to the show, you know we're big Ventures Brothers fans, and me primarily because I discovered Venture Brothers through the podcast. Um, so I'm pretty happy to get some conclusion. And speaking of conclusion, we also learned today that Ellen DeGeneres is ending her show. Oh man! Yeah, I mean we had her we had her booked as a guest. Yeah, she's not uh, she's not going to do year, podcasts so. anymore. She's just like no. no so like ah, we rats. we had her booked for later in the year, and um, we were going to grill her real hard about her treatment of her employees, apparently. She said it's no longer a challenge, not the treatment of her employees. <laughs> um, the show. I have subjugated enough people. <laughs> I'm bored yeah. by your cries. That's a tidbit of information that we could be topical about that we don't care about. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get really topical in a couple of episodes. I think... We're planning to do kind of a, kind of like we do at the end of the year, but like a mid-year roundup. Yeah. Um, which I'm excited to talk about. I've, uh, you know, here we are, it's May. You know, I, I know that this is kids play to brag about to you, Matt, but I've, I'm coming up on 50 movies this year. That's awesome. And fewer than, fewer than 10 have been rewatches. So I'm really. That's, that's great. I'm really turning over some rocks and, and, and checking out some new stuff so but yeah we'll, we'll cover that when we do the big roundup episode i won't tell you how many movies i have watched this year so uh before we dive into the topic of, of this week's episode um which is when the pawn mm-hmm. uh second album by fiona apple um, correct so I'm, I'm gonna go down the the top 10 selling albums of the year in the united states okay uh, when this came out which was 1999 mm-hmm Number one, Backstreet Boys Millennium. That's their third record. Oof. Is that the one with, bio, uh, no, uh, Backstreet's Back? Or, 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 or um, uh, what is it? I Want It That Way? Uh, larger Than Life, I Want It That Way. Oh, yeah. That yeah, makes are, you larger than life. Wait, isn't that all the songs? Yeah, who knows? Number two. Debut album of Britney Spears, Baby oh, One More Time. Wow. I didn't realize that they were on their third album when she put out her first album. 
Hey, we got at number three, uh, <laughs> Come On Over, uh, Shania Twain's third studio album. Okay. No opinion. Uh, <laughs> number four, In Sync's first record. Okay. Uh, we got Ricky Martin self titled. Um, that was his big um, English language breakout that had, uh, you know, Living La Vida Loca and all that. Christina Aguilera's self titled de- uh, debut album. With Genie in a Bottle? Uh, I would assume so. Yeah, that was on her debut album. Yep. Speaking of which, Opening Fiona track. Apple said in an interview that, and she didn't want to say anything disparaging about Christina Aguilera, but she was talking about how she read an interview with the people that wrote that song, and they were worried that when Christina Aguilera came in that they would have to do some pitch correction and stuff. It's like, oh, thank God she has a good voice, which is really strange to think that these people wrote this song with not any intention behind it for who's singing it or whatnot it was just this hopeful like here's a pop singer we may have to do some work here oh turns out she's a good singer and fiona was like oh that's really depressing to me because i put in so much effort into my songwriting and to have that disconnect for 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 how the song was written was really depressing (laughs) well we've talked about doing a boy band episode we have and i think uh, I, I mean, boy band, but also pop music. I, I think a lot of these like turn of the century pop stars would be worth discussion here. Um, oh, here's a big one. Number seven, Santana, Supernatural. Oh man, I hated that with the um, song with Rob Thomas. Da da dun dun da da dun dun. Yeah, everywhere, everywhere. Yeah. Awful, really awful. Like, and there were and there were a whole handful of songs like collaborations he did with with other musicians off that record that were also big i don't think any of them had the legs of that one that one song did with rob thomas smooth is that what it was called yeah uh tlc fan mail okay is that uh, the one with last waterfalls that or? was the last one no that was crazy sexy cool, okay yeah 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 this is right. the last one they released before left eye died uh kid rock devil without a cause Oof. his fourth album Oof. But that one's the one this with was like, Bod with a This ba. is the one. This is the one, right? Yeah. Yep. And then uh, Eminem, the Slim Shady LP, which again, his his second album, This is, but this was like his big breakout. Wow. And those are the top 10 record, selling records, right? Correct. Okay. Uh, yeah. And this, I wasn't seeking this stuff out necessarily, all, all the specific stuff. This was what I sort of associate that period of, of music with like, you know, all of these had an inescapable element to for it. sure. Um, you know, stuff like, I mean, especially, I mean, a handful of those kid rock singles were all over rock radio in 99 and 2000. And I mean, but you've also got stuff like Godsmack, uh, sort of vestiges of rage against the machine, uh, new metal, so uh, corn, limp biscuit, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so that's really sort of. I was in '99. I was in eighth grade. Okay, eighth grade and ninth grade. You're pretty young. So like, this is sort of, yeah, not not particularly excited about any of the stuff I just <laughs> talked about. Yeah, but like that's just that you know that seemed to be all people were listening to. Um, you know, and then like any any number of performers you can associate with any of these. You know, those were the sort of constellations of music that sort of dominated things. So what were you listening to at this time? 
<sighs> not a lot, to be honest. Um, I think we've talked about this. I never, it took me a long time to connect with music. I didn't connect when I was especially young. Uh, I did not have, I certainly didn't have any older friends and did not have any older siblings. I was hanging around with some dirtbag kids who were like, classic rock rules, man. Nothing after 1979 is worth listening to. And it's, you know, we're 13, 14 years old. You had opinions, man. Exceptions were made. Rage Against the Machine somehow made the cut. But like, not, the kids were like, oh, rap. Forget that. Um, Sublime. Okay. Somehow got in under the classic rock radar. I don't know. Yeah, it was sort of a period where I was struggling to find a friend group. So I would just sort of like, oh, yeah, Corn and Limp Biscuit are cool. And like, but like not not listen to it independently. I would just kind of tolerate it in their presence. I did have a friend when I was younger who had older sisters. And I remember them making him a mixtape where, I mean, the standouts were things like um, Odelay, um, some Alanis Morissette songs off a jagged little pill. I think that was the first time uh, I had heard fuck in a sexual context. Oh, and I was like, oh, that word means something. So like that, <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know, that was earlier in the nineties, but you know, I think, uh, when did Fiona Apple's first record come out? It came out in 96. Her first record is called title. Um, she was 19 years old, which is pretty fucking crazy. Um, and it sold 3 million copies. So that thing was everywhere. Uh, and obviously the big single was, um, shadow boxer and criminal and criminal had that music video that was just always on anytime you turn on mtv you're gonna see criminal it was it was ubiquitous no that was another thing i was not um i was not allowed to watch mtv yeah so i mean that kind of makes sense because you know listening to um when the pawn and i did listen to title a bit and i knew those big singles but like there's something about her that seemed very familiar and like she does have this kind of you know, there's this jazz quality to her vocals sometimes. And I, I remember this. So this friend who made, who had the mixtape from his sisters, I remember one of his sisters in particular would like really put on this like jazz affectation when she was singing, like really like, you know, like jokingly lean into that. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if, if maybe, uh, uh, some songs from Tidal were on that tape. I have to assume that they were listening to Fiona Apple. Sure. So, you know, I, of course, did not know that that's did not associate any of that with her until years later. You start connecting dots and you remember snippets of misremembered songs you caught in the radio or in a friend's car or something. But uh, so it's one of those things that only through this weird sort of cultural osmosis were you familiar with her uh, and you hadn't actively sure. listened to a full album until now. Is that correct? Correct. Mm hmm. Well, as you had mentioned, we are specifically focusing on her second album, which um, has been abbreviated to When the Pawn. It came out in November of 1999. Um, the full title uh, at the time of its release was, um, it broke the record for the longest album title at 444 characters. I think Chumbawamba beat her eventually, <laughs> um, which their <laughs> album from 2008 had 865 characters. But the full title, anyway, is When the Pawn Hits the Conflicts, He Thinks Like a King, 
What he knows throws the blows when he goes to the fight, and he'll win the whole thing, for he enters the ring. There's no body to batter when your mind is your might. So when you go solo, you hold your own hand, and remember that depth is the greatest of heights. And if you know where you stand, then you know where to land, and if you fall, it won't matter, because you'll know that you're right. It's essentially a big kind of like pep talk for herself. Um, Mm -hmm. I remember that when this came out that the title was a bit of a punchline because it was so long. Uh, And I think in a lot of critical circles, it was sort of like, oh, you know, who does she think she is? Blah, 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 blah. This is pretentious, whatnot. Um, And I think, unfortunately, like the kind of language, uh, the conversation around her was so much informed by that criminal video um, and her kind of uh, brazen interviews where she'd kind of say whatever was on her mind. But I think people unfortunately reacted in in negative ways and and kind of mistreated her. Um, And this album in general is sort of, and the title in, in particular, were a reaction to her reading uh, responses to an interview she had done for Spin Magazine. And a lot of these responses were essentially like, oh, I know that she was raped when she was younger, but get over yourself. You should kill yourself. Who does she think she is? Very negative, intense stuff. Um, yeah. And so a lot of this album is about her kind of giving herself allowance to be like, hey, like, fuck you. I can be messy and a complex person and I can own that and that's okay. And, and, but I'm still in control. Uh, for me personally, I like, I, I've been trying to think about how I first, like what, cause obviously I became aware of her when she released, I'm a little older than you. And her first album came out. And, and like I said, that those songs were everywhere. But I don't remember what my reaction was. And I don't want to sit here and pat myself on the back and be like, oh, yeah, I I wasn't part of all that sexist conversation about how she looked wayfish and she needed to eat hot dogs or whatnot because she looks so almost emaciated. And um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say I was above that. I don't have really any memory of it. I remember being taken by her voice instantly, but I think I also probably wrapped her into the whole Lilith Fair crowd because at that time that was really popular. This female singer songwriter was almost treated as its own genre, which is, which is really Mm -hmm. ridiculous. But, um, right. I think I was listening to a lot of, uh, bands like flaming lips and tortoise and Radiohead and, um, and Bjork to me, I didn't think this fit into that. This album came out in 99 and I think it, it was shortly after, it was probably in 2000, where me and a couple of friends hopped in a car and we took a road trip to go see the quick stop from Clerks. Um, yeah, of course, of you course did. we did. And I think we even went to Jay and Silent Bob's secret stash, like uh, Kevin Smith's uh, comic book store. A friend of mine, so this is actually former guest of the show, Chris Knott's older brother, Joe Knott, had this record and he put it on and I was immediately taken by it because this is not what I thought Fiona Apple was. And I I was really taken aback by how angry and confrontational it is and how experimental a lot of the music is. 
um, how interesting the arrangements were, how sharp and clever her lyrics were, and how its influences seem to stem from, like you said, that kind of jazzy, sultry singers like Ella Fitzgerald and Billie Holiday kind of has roots in that, but also has kind of hip hop influence, but also there's some sort of 60s psychedelia in there too. Um, So as soon as we got back from that trip, I bought this record and it lived in my CD player in my car. Uh, And I I became obsessed and I've been such a big fan ever since. I've talked about her on the show in the past. Like I think she got brought up in our episode of the best music of the 2010s where I think in the top 10, her fourth album, The Idler Wheel, um, I think it was in somewhere in the top 10. Uh, So I had recommended that then. And I had also recommended her most recent album, um, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, which came out last year. Uh, And I believe at the, our, you know, 2020 recap episode, I had talked about that. So I think it was in the back of our mind and you had mentioned like, oh, maybe we should do Fiona Apple because I I kept talking about her. Um, So I will say up front, like this is one of my favorite records. Uh, I I think this record is perfect. Uh, Listening to it again in preparation for this this episode, I was just like, oh yeah, I just love all of this. (laughs) I love it completely. Um, so I was excited to really kind of introduce you to a favorite and, and to see what you thought of it. And I think in, and initially you were just like, oh, I think this is kind of a instant home run. I think I, you, like you knew offhand that you would probably like this. Yeah, I would have been very surprised if, you know, I think even if I was kind of like, like ambivalent by it, that seems that I would have been surprised. I think based on your enthusiasm for it and... Uh, you know, she's a favorite of Sandra's and again, knowing like just from recall the, the, the few songs that I did know, um, I, I figured this would be great. And I've, I've kind of lived with this one for, uh, for the last month or so. Um, it's really, <laughs> I think it's the only music really that I've listened to just, you know, between, uh, work and, and kid stuff. Whenever I've had a moment, whether I was going for a walk or, y- you know, thought I was, in sort of like a work zone where I could maybe put a little bit of attention on what I was listening to. Uh, yeah, this has just been on loop and it is, it's great. Um, I, I think all the same things you mentioned, the, the sort of, you know, that raw openness, the confrontational delivery when appropriate. Cause it's not all like, it's not all angry and confrontational, but I think it's, um, yeah, she's, it's very deliberate and very intentional when it is. And it's, uh, cathartic and you know I think you know even like if you're not just focusing on the the lyrics explicitly that these sort of energy is just really uh, contagious and and uh, it's easy to fall into I've been happy to listen to this constantly we've done some other music ones where I've sort of been like okay I think I need to step away from this band or this performer for a while but you know I haven't even ventured beyond title and and this record I, i've sort of been content to really absorb it and 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 sit with it and think about it for a while so what was surprising uh is a lot of the arrangement and so this is where my we'll get into more specifically with each song but in general and, and this is where my music illiteracy really shows 
like, what's happening there? What <laughs> there is something that feels um, there is a, a, a the sound of it just feels very much of the like mid to late nineties. There's something it feels it feels retro, but it feels kind of like you know there there is some sort of like modern sort of twisting of whatever's happening. And I can't put my finger on it. And I'm sure as we listen to some samples of some of the tracks, I can point to like, oh, that thing, that part. Sure. But do you know what I'm yeah. saying? There, like, and knowing, and then knowing that the producer had done some film scores, and I went back and like, oh, I'm like, oh, I'm thinking of what I'm hearing in Fiona Apple is that thing that I, it's 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 that thing that's happening in the Eternal Sunshine. Sure. This album is produced by John Bryan. And he did the score for, as you had mentioned, Eternal Sunshine and the Spotless Mind. Um, he's also did the score for Magnolia, which is by Paul Thomas Anderson and Punch Drunk Love. And I think maybe one of the specific things that that he does, um, he uses woodwinds a lot. And there is a lot of that on this record. Um, that and um, I think... Uh, there's a lot of string arrangements as well. And you could kind of tell by his string arrangements um, that it's him. I could always tell when he, he does a score for something. I, I'm also a pretty big John Bryan fan, but he's also a big 60s fanatic. He loves 60s psychedelic music. Uh, he's a big Beatles guy. He's a big Kinks guy. Um, and you could hear that in this record as well. There's a lot of kind of synthesizer uh, organ, a lot of organ um, vibraphone, he uses that a lot. Uh, he kind of downplays his role uh, in 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 the record. He really kind of attributes a lot of it to her curiosity and her pushing him to do these things. Um, she has said that she treats the piano like a percussive instrument. She really likes to hit the piano. You know what I'm saying? So, mm-hmm. um, like a drummer, also you know, it's all rhythm. Um, she kind of treats that the same way. And you could hear that in a lot of these songs, especially um, like that first song in, uh, in The Bound. Well, why don't we play that song and then we'll get into it. What a way to start a record, right? Um, but that kind of like 
percussive piano that starts the whole thing. You can hear it. Like she's just hammering home the piano and it's very rhythmic. Mm -hmm. It's not just playing out these chords, uh, arpeggios or anything like that, which is kind of like, you know, going up and down, um, through the scale or, or through the chords. Um, it, she's really just kind of sync yeah, laying in with the, the, the drums and all that. And I think that's a big, mm-hmm. um, that's a big kind of thing that she does. She said that like playing the piano for her is cathartic when she was learning, when she was little, um, that was a big component to her. That's why she is such a rhythmic piano player. And, and if you removed everything from the chorus, except for the string arrangements, which are these soaring, soaring anthemic kind of building string section that kind of lays over it, though that feels like something you'd hear in Magnolia. Um, and and sure. that feels like that kind of thing that John Bryan probably brought to this. So I don't know if that kind of like answers anything that we kind of set up uh, uh, going into the album. Well, I, I guess, I guess my question is, was there, was whatever, was that element a little more prevalent in a lot of music around this time period? Like, or so like I'm thinking of, uh, and, and maybe this is just isolated sort of memories contaminating my understanding of, of what was going on. But like later in the song, uh, like around three minutes and 30 seconds in, there's a part that feels familiar in a way that, uh, again, I mean, I, maybe I'm misremembering, but it seems like it was um, a sort of fixture of of this time period. And whether or not like it was done as well or even as often as I thought it was. But. I don't, you know, when I listen to this, I don't really think much sounds like this from that era. I think there are pieces and little fragments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we progress through the record, I think, you know, I'll try and point those out. I think sometimes there are drum elements that uh, sound like they're treated almost as, as if they're electronic, which was really popular around this time. Uh, a lot of bands mm-hmm. were dabbling that. There's stuff that sounds like breakbeats, which is really a big part of electronic music. Um, uh, things like, you know, um, Prodigy were doing a lot of stuff like that. So I think those tiny sure. elements here and there, I think this album feels its influences feel older to me than than this time frame in general, uh, especially her voice and and again like the organ and the instrumentation and um, but but a lot of bands like Radiohead obviously um, this is a year before Kid A and they had just put out a couple years prior to this OK Computer which also was kind of pilfering from a lot of 60s and 70s psychedelic music as well. So I think people were really starting to get back to that because remember at the beginning of the 90s, it was all kind of reclaiming from the hair metal uh, and the over-the-top nature of 80s music and uh, it was kind of stripping things down. So you had Nirvana and and obviously the grunge uh, scene that led to alternative, um, as far as rock music goes anyway. Um, and this feels more like it, being influenced by stuff that was much older than 90s at least to me yeah and i'm not dismissing this as derivative of what else was happening and and i think that's what i'm getting at i think no i'm not dismissing this as derivative necessarily of what else was happening and this familiar thing is something that i like and i i once felt at home listening to it because the the texture of the sound was something that 
uh, I've always kind of perked up when I heard. Sure. So may, and maybe that's maybe that's just it is whatever was here and then whatever similar uh, approaches to music were being done in other things, uh, those stuck with me somehow. So who knows? I'm just trying to get to the bottom of why uh, I like the sound of this as much as I do. Because when I started listening to it for the first time, I said, oh, it's that thing I like. <laughs> and I, like I said, I, I lacked the I lacked the, the sort of vocabulary to articulate what I'm getting I think at. you also mentioned like those those top 10 records that you talked about at the beginning of the episode. Those sound nothing, nothing like, like this. this. And I think the biggest distinction is that this sounds really natural. Like her voice is very clean and upfront in the mix. Um you can hear every word she enunciates. That's partly because that's the kind of singer she is, but also that's how it was mixed. But also the drums, they feel like they're in the room with you. They're very natural. When you hear that snare drum, that crack, you know, uh, mm -hmm. that wasn't necessarily what a lot of records were sounding like. Like if when you're talking about Kid Rock, um, the drums in that, they don't sound anything like this. They don't sound natural to me. They sound like they're attempting to be... Um, like kind of bigger than life. And I think what happened around this time is a lot of these drum sounds and a lot of these guitar sounds ended up being compressed so much that just to be loud, everything was about being loud, you know? Oh yeah. And yep. this isn't that, this is dynamic. Extreme. This has like extreme highs and lows. Um, and listening to this in headphones, like this thing just sings, like it's all over the place. Um, and it also has a lot of these, like I said, the organ sounds that were really popular in the seventies and, and, um, you got some Mellotron in there, which is a sixties, early seventies kind of psychedelic thing. Um, so I, I think uh, it's just pulling from a lot of older music. Sure. Um, we've talked a lot about how virtuosic, um, the, the playing and her singing is, but like her lyrics are probably, <laughs> one of the best parts of it. She's maybe one of the greatest lyricists of the past 25 years. Um, yeah. I, I, so, I mean, first of all, the chorus, I, I just think is incredible how it's almost sinister sounding. It's kind of contradicting what she's saying. She's saying, you're all I need. Um, but the music underneath it just, it doesn't feel right with that. And then she closes the chorus by saying, and maybe some faith will do me good, which I think is just this beautiful kind of way to to undermine what she's talking about but like this line in particular right after that that starts the that's in the the second verse uh where she says no thing i do don't do no thing but bring me more to do it's true i do imbue my blue unto myself i make it bitter like that's a fucking tongue twister right and it's so, so yeah. clever where she's talking about like, yeah, okay, maybe I do sort of court disaster and, and um, you know, maybe I'm a catastrophist, but, you know, I own that, you know, that's who I am and, and that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm learning and I'm trying to control these things. Yeah. And the way, but the way she sort of delivers it too, it also feels very natural the way it kind of just like sinks into the rhythm of yeah of the song. it's so rhythmic and her her melodies are always uh kind of running counter to what the instruments are doing what the piano is doing or what what the guitars are doing um that line in particular it just flows it's so great i love it um should we go on to the next song 
Let's do it. directly addressing the whole aftermath of that spin article, but also how she was sort of treated in the media where she opens it with, here's another speech you wish I'd swallow another cue for you to fold your ears. Um, She's probably also referring to her infamous uh, MTV music awards acceptance speech. Were you familiar with this? I think if you search for her, this kind of comes up pretty frequently. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. She, you know, won an award for criminal and she got up and, and I remember this, I remember this happening. And again, I don't remember exactly what my reaction was. I, I, you know, I, I very well could have written her off when she said this. And I think a lot of people did. I thought, you know, I think a lot of people probably thought that she was pretentious and, um, and that maybe she should know her place, which I, I think now is a lot of horseshit, but she said, um, Um, She got up and she said, uh, you know, Maya Angelou said that we as human beings at our best can only create opportunities. And I'm going to use this opportunity the way I want to use it. Everybody that's watching, this world is bullshit. And you shouldn't model your life about what you think we think is cool and what we're wearing and what we're saying and everything. Go with yourself. Um, Now, you know, I'm reading it. She did kind of stumble her way through it. And I think maybe... She's a better writer than she is uh, a public speaker, you know, Um, but that doesn't matter. I think she's sincere and I think she's really just talking about like, you know, a lot of the artifice of what you see here, this award and all that and uh, is is bullshit, like she said. And um, but she got really taken to task for that. So I think this song kind of um, is addressing that. You know, that also seems kind of like. I don't know. Maybe I maybe maybe I'm just giving MTV too much credit for having any sort of edge longer than they actually did. <laughs> it doesn't seem that out of place for of all things that. Like no. I would expect the backlash from something stuffier. I mean, but. she's she's really young too. Like I think you know, I recommend like searching it to see it. Um and it seems like she's kind of trying to figure out exactly what she wants to say and I think people were probably reacting to that and to her her youthfulness and you know, she got a lot of hate for it, which is really uh, strange now because now it seems pretty innocent, you know? Um, and yeah. I, I think part of it too is like that perception and you hear this all the time with with celebrities and musicians and whatnot that say things in, in public where people are just like, you know what? You're here to entertain me. Shut the fuck up, you know? And I think I think that's a part of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, remember, <laughs> I remember my dad telling me that he, uh, a friend of his was like, a friend of his had invited him to go see Bruce Springsteen at Fenway and my dad said no. Uh, 
And he's like, yeah, Bruce just like, he'll play a song and then he'll talk. And like, I don't want to hear you talk. I don't care about what you say. I just want to hear the music. And I was like, I'm like, isn't that like, hasn't that always just been his shtick? <laughs> what do you get? What are you not getting from him talking or your advice for like, if, sometimes it seems like people make that distinction like, oh, you're an entertainer, but like they lob it at entertainers who are also like uh, persistently <laughs> um, trying to say something. Yeah. It just it's, it's always, it always strikes me as odd when when a, when a when certain types of performers are are like labeled as too preachy and it seems like I don't well, what are you there for in the first place? I, I think oftentimes too what that comes down to is the person saying I don't want you to say this is just saying I, I want if you were saying things that I agreed with then that's cool <laughs> you know yeah, which right. is they're just telling mm-hmm. on themselves like I took my dad to go see Roger Waters perform and Roger Waters has always been very political right and and you could read that in a lot of pink floyd uh, about his ideas and his philosophies and so obviously when he gets political in boston and people start booing him i'm like who did you think you're going to see like and it's just weird to be like boo play another brick in the wall it's just like that that's cognitive dissonance to (laughs) me it's just i don't know but um there's uh i i do want to kind of like point out this great line here which is another sort of you know vocal acrobatics that she does and there's a bridge that comes in that kind of changes the rhythm it's like it's got this galloping kind of drum thing that's like and 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 again with the rhythmic kind of vocal line she says my daring do allows me to dance the rigadoon around you but by the time i'm close to you i lose my desideratum and now you <laughs> like i like I, I can't even pronounce that word i don't even know what it was i had to look it up Des desideratum is uh as means something that is needed or wanted so and rigadoon uh means lively dance for couples so but like i had to look those up i didn't you know uh but uh, it, it's just such a great line and the way she fits it in to the song too. Uh, again, you know, using this this kind of driving rhythmic vocal line. Up. Um, it's so great. And, like, you know, uh, again, to sort of hold this up in comparison to those top selling albums, you know, uh, without being too judgmental here. I mean, a lot of that stuff's fairly like, you know, vapid pop. And not just in terms of like the content, but even just the, you know, the the individual performers sort of talent aside, I think, um, you know, really like that's a great example of, of her sort of in the same way that she comes at the piano differently than, than you'd expect. Like the vocals are very malleable and, and she plays with her own voice in ways that sort of, you know, it's, it's always surprising that first time and really like thrilling to hear those, those tongue twisters or the weird sort of percussive deliveries she gives. And when Um, she sings that line in particular, like her voice is breaking, she's pushing her voice to the limit, but like there's such control over it. I think it's always impressive to me when someone can have that much raw emotion when they're singing but still Mm -hmm. like it feels so purposeful like oh i did that all that um, all those tiny cracks and everything like have that kind of 
control over it, I don't think is is easy to do. Um, and and it's and it's rare. It's a rarity. Let's move on to the next song, which is called Limp. You wanna make me sick. You wanna lick my wounds, don't you, baby? You want the badge of honor when you save my hide. But you're the one in the way of the day of doom, baby. If you need my shame to reclaim your pride. But when I think of it, my fingers turn to fist. I never did anything to you, man. No matter what I try, you beat me with your bitter lies. So call me crazy, hold me down, baby. Um, I think the opening of this with that kind of that little drum thing that almost sounds programmed that feels kind of of the time I think a lot of bands were especially rock bands were incorporating that kind of element into their music Uh, you know famously U2 did a whole electronic record (laughs) or they attempted to um, and even like Smashing Pumpkins and they were all starting to incorporate it that kind of element into it this is used so sparingly that I think it works well. Um, I think the only band that really kind of made that jump and pulled it off was Radiohead, but you know that's another podcast for another day. Um, <laughs> sure. Um, but like, I love that kind of like ascending piano line while the descending bass line. Uh, I think it, it kind of and it's just kind of pretty minimal to start, and then um, and then that drum kicks in. It's just got this great groove to it um where it's deceptively simple where he's playing a lot of kind of ghost notes which are those little notes in between that aren't as like it's not like cracking hitting really hitting the snare it's those kind of little ones in between um i love that kind of stuff and i i i I love when you explain what a ghost note is because earlier you mentioned several instruments that i have to just assume that you know what you're talking about (laughs) (laughs) Um, so thank you. Uh, so th- this is one that seemed very familiar to me. I feel like that chorus struck me as something that I had heard before. And I, I don't know, I don't know if this was a single or if it was on a soundtrack or it something, was a but yeah. Yeah. So and that's probably the, it. The, this and, um, fast as you can were singles. Um, and I think paper bag was too. Uh, all the music videos were directed by Paul Thomas Anderson. Uh, they okay. were dating at the time. Uh, so, uh, and he was working on Magnolia. And apparently he said in interviews that he would kind of look through her lyric notebooks to steal lines for his 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 movies. Did that happen? Can that be sort of traced to anything? I haven't seen Magnolia he, in a long time. I mean, he didn't give any examples, but he himself has said that, that he kind of stole from her. I think they were probably... Like he was like 30. So he's like eight, seven or eight years older than her. Um, and, you know, this is his, you know, he's doing a lot of coke at this time too. I read an interview with her when Fetch the Bolt Cutters came out last year. And I think she's being amicable and being like, yeah, we were probably not in both in the right 
frame of mind at that time you know like they were both probably too mm-hmm. a little self-centered at that time i think she was being magnanimous and maybe not trying to place the blame on anyone necessarily but it was probably i don't know she also mentioned in that same interview where she like have to deal with hanging out with with paul thomas anderson and quentin tarantino and they would just be talking movie stuff and she'd just be like bored to tears <laughs> i mean i think if you presented me with the opportunity to talk movies with them i'd first feel intimidated but i think with the filter of her saying how completely boring it was uh, that seems like the right <laughs> response to that situation <laughs> especially if cocaine was involved i cannot imagine that being fun to be a you know sort of a fly in the wall i also for. found this old interview online where it's tarantino interviewing her which is from i don't i think it's from like 2006 or so um oh and he talks about how he really likes how he loves her music but also loves her lyrics and in particular how violent they can get and how she kind of owns that and i was like of course you do (laughs) yeah um and then he spent 20 minutes asking her about her feet. Oh, that was that was an easy one. It was an easy one. Um, this also has that amazing line where she says, uh, well, the chorus is, is, is amazing. So call me crazy, hold me down, make me cry, get off now, baby. It won't be long till you'll be lying limp in your own hand. How, how great of a, a kiss off is that? That is great. I also think that like she can kind of pull out these tongue twisters and like these this really like complex vocabulary, but then I, the line, um, and when I think of it, my f- fingers turn to fists. I never did anything to you, man. It's like, it's so direct. It's so like a, yeah, yeah, exactly. Great. That directness is, is refreshing because like, I feel like, uh, y- you'd expect someone to maybe overthink it and be like, I want to say I never did anything to you, man, but I got to make it sound songy. No, this is just more confrontational. Um, it's ugly. It's like what I yeah, think that's what, and I love that. I love I I love when that honesty comes. I kind through. of think that's what Tarantino was talking about when he said he loved that violence. I think he's talking about mm-hmm. that kind of shocking, like confrontational. But that other great line where um, what does she say in here? Um, you fondle my trigger, but then you blame my gun, which is so perfect. It's like one of those like succinct metaphors that you you know, wonder why no one has said it before. Um, so we're going to skip, we're going to skip forward a bit. Um, not that the love ridden paper bag and a mistake aren't great. Um, but we figured we just kind of do like a broad strokes approach to the record. So the next song we're going to talk about is called fast as you can. In too soon, I don't know how to live without my hand on his throat. I fight him always and still. Oh, darling, it's so sweet you think you know how crazy, how crazy I am. You say you don't spook easy, you won't go, but I know and I pray that you will. Fast as you can, baby, run free yourself up as fast as you can. Yeah, so I had mentioned like that kind of breakbeat kind of drum thing, mm-hmm. which is popular around this time, and that's kind of what this beginning kind of sounds like to me, uh, especially when the drums like 
proper kick in, not that kind of a little electronic kind of thing flourished at the beginning. But once the drums kick in, it, it, mm-hmm. they're real drums, but it does kind of sound like that kind of breakbeat kind of thing that was really popular, that up-tempo kind of thing. Yeah, this is a, a really super dumb, nerdy point of comparison. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, there's there's a song on the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack that okay. has a lot of this going on. <laughs> uh, and I listened to that a lot my freshman year of college because... Um, I was sad and bad at making friends and listening to the Cowboy Bebop soundtrack constantly did not help, <laughs> but <laughs> we can talk about that another time because I don't think you've seen that show. No, I haven't. And I think we actually Correct? had mentioned yeah. that maybe we might do an episode on it. Yeah, that'd be a fun one. It's been a while. You, you said it again. Anyway. You did the thing again. It's been a while. It's been a while. Sorry. Um, Ooh. Ugh. <laughs> That was uh they they oh, did no. that on two two great two great they tastes. did that on comedy bang bang for a while oh did they because <laughs> everyone would always use that phrase so they would say mm-hmm. anytime anyone would say it's been they did the it's been a while they did that for a long time and then eventually it became it's been a while and then they'd add the other <laughs> sorry <laughs> Ugh. um I, so I love the, the chorus here too. Which is which is really great, and and kind of the uh, the thing that she does throughout the whole record is doing these kind of counter rhythm kind of things. So the bass drum is playing on all the, you know, one two three four, one two three four, and her vocal is doing triplets. So that's like one da 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 one two three one two three on top of the fours, uh, which is just um, I, I love that kind of counter rhythmic thing that she's doing. See, that didn't that didn't even need a need a primer. I I would have been able to follow that. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, triplets are. I love triplets. <laughs> triplet, triplet. Especially because the way mm-hmm. they teach you to do a triplet is to say it as you're doing it. Triplet, 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 triplet. Tri- I I think my middle school band teacher used a more complicated method. Really? Involved foods. Yeah. Huh. They're a bunch of like food food words plugged okay. in for. I'm not gonna do. I'm trying it, to think of a good food to fit in there. Fried chicken. Fried really? Chicken. Fried chicken. Fried chicken. Fried, fried chicken, chicken. Maybe. Fried chicken. Fried chicken. That's kind of cool. Fried chicken. Fried chicken. I mean, it's a fucking triplet. You can say triplet. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then it's got that great kind of bridge where it kind of it, where it breaks down and it's has that organ over everything and it's real kind of sultry mm-hmm. uh big soulful vocals it's great i mean it, it all feels so uh big yeah you know i think it really um the the scope of it matches the energy and the emotion behind it and it's really uh yeah it's it's good stuff and it's, the music um, video was the f- so this is the first single off the record uh and it did okay this album didn't sell as well as title but i think over time people have really come to respect it i think it still um probably sells okay i mean for for what it is you know it just had its first vinyl issue it's never been on vinyl up until uh i think like two years ago do you think this underperformed because of the type of stuff that was really kind of taking over yeah um taking a lot of the oxygen out of the room i think you know, I think it's a, a number of things. It's it's a sophisticated record. It it's running counter to a lot of what was selling well. It's not like it's sold poorly. 
it just didn't do as well as title, which really, yeah, I think kind of took over for a bit, had its moment. Um, and you know, this was going into the two thousands and things were kind of changing. So, uh, and she was maybe a little ahead of the curve in some ways, you know? Yeah. And it's not like, it's not a kid's record, you know, none of, none of the other stuff that we talked that I mentioned, those other 10 albums are like children's records, but they're for angry, horny kids. <laughs> yeah. 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 True. I, I mean, but like, and I think what's surprising is like, there's a lot of anger and there's a lot of sex in this record too. And like, but it's, it's so smart and so thoughtful and, you know, I think what a difference a decade makes, you know, maybe, uh, something like this would have, this seems of a piece with maybe the, maybe some of the, the ethos behind music that was popular in the early part, earlier part of the decade. Whereas, you know, like I said, by the time we get to this point, it's all just angry, dick swinging mosh pit fucking gorillas and 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 ultimately it doesn't matter like she only has five records she takes her time putting out her records but each one now has since this one is treated as an event when her third record came out it was like okay she's back finally we're so excited because she had garnered such goodwill from this record and and it's almost like you know i i hate to keep bringing them up um, but it is like Radiohead in that sense where they had that one record that sold really well. And then their second record, which is much more mature and sophisticated and definitely a better record, didn't sell nearly as well. And people had kind of written them off <clears throat> and then they came back and everyone's just like, Oh no, this is an important band. And, and then they kind of reclaimed that second record saying like, yes, this is an important step. Um, and then put out okay computer, which was obviously, you know, one of the defining records of the 90s and then put out kid a which is one of the defining records of the 2000 early 2000s uh and she kind of did the same thing in that sense where you know her extraordinary machine was is one of the best albums of the 2000s early aughts uh and then idler wheel which is one of the better records from the 2010s and and now already in this decade early as it is people are already talking about fetch the bolt cutters as one of the best of, of this very young decade, but also one of her best records. So I think, you know, she takes her time and she does it right. And she always has something to say. Um, should we cover another song? Yeah, let's do, what, what would we, if we had to do one more, which would we do? Let's do Get Gone. How many times do I have to say to get away, get gone? Live your shit past another lasses humble dwelling You got your game made your shot and you got away with a lot but I'm not turned on So put away that meet your selling Cause I do know what's good for me And I've done what I could for you But you're not benefiting And yet I'm sitting Singing again Sing, sing again How can I deal with this? 
This one starts with like that drum shuffle. It's nice, delicate kind of pianos. Uh, I don't think we mentioned it. The song is called Get Gone. This is the second to last track on the record. I love how she kind of builds the vocals here. Um, and, you know, obviously this is another kind of confrontational. This one feels more like a relationship, obviously, uh, when she says lines like, well, I love the way she phrases, it's time the truth was out and that he don't give a shit about me. You know, that's not how you'd normally phrase something like that. Well, again, it's a, it's that, that blunt, brutal honesty. You know, why, you know, it's it's fine to sort of, you know, do all the wordplay and stuff, but like at the heart of it, just like, this fucking sucks. This this is the shitty thing I want to talk about and I'm just going to say it. Rip the bandaid off. I love how delicate her vocals get in this too. Like she's, she gets really quiet and especially um, in the third, like the third verse right before the last chorus where it kind of, there's a, there's a moment where it stops and then she just comes back in and she goes, fucking go. Uh, and I love that the way that brings that everything back in. And and when she says after that, she follows it with, because I've done what I could for you and I do know what's good for me. Uh, I love that line. Um, again, it's so direct, but um, it works so well with the narrative that she's kind of set up for this whole thing. And I love the way she sings it at this part too, because she punk, it's like almost each line, each word in that line has a period. I do know what's good for me. Like she punctuates each one and it's so great. And I think that's kind of like what's indicative of what she does throughout the whole album is that she sets up a melody, but then she has all these endless variations with the rhythm of the melody, but also with, you know, um, where she is in her register for that melody. So she'll do variations where she'll go up higher and, and lower and come back and call back to things that she did earlier in the song, call back to melodies, but there are lots of variations. Um, I, I think that's just kind of shows the sophistication of this record, especially compared to title. I know you listen to title as well. And title just feels like a simpler version of this. Uh, Yeah, this definitely feels, yeah, like a, like a growth and a progression and a sort of continued, you know, mastery over the things she did well in title. And then I, I can do that. And how can I, you know, where to go next? And this, this feels like the natural direction for that to go. She did say, um, about title. She said, I, I have a huge fuck. I have a fucking huge memory of just hating all the songs on the last album when we were finishing it. A lot of that record was me going, I don't know. What do you think is better? Go ahead. It just sounds a little bit undecided. I didn't know enough. I I think that's kind of like, this feels so decisive. Like she knew exactly what she wanted from this whole thing. And, and, And she progresses from this album to be even more kind of eccentric and, and lean into the stranger rhythmic stuff and, and things that she can do with her voice that other people can't. Which is exciting because, um, as I had mentioned, I really hung out with this record and kind of put my toe in with title, but I didn't go forward partly because I was enjoying this so much, but also because I, I didn't really want to get too far ahead of myself. And even, even, you know, I think we've compared the two enough. I don't even think we need to say much more there, but I, I didn't want to have the next three albums kind of stacked on top of it as a point of comparison. 
because there it is such a big leap from the first album to this. Um, and I'm, I'm excited to hear that she continues to really, you know, kind of, kind of stretch what her sound does. So, so I, I take it you prefer this one to title? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Uh, so the next record, she actually, it has a fascinating history. She recorded the whole album with John Bryan um, and then shelved the whole record. And at the time, I think people didn't know exactly what was going on and they thought that the label was was being difficult and that the label was kind of gotcha. stepping in, in and saying like, oh, we're, we're going to redo this. Um, but then she came out and said, no, no, it's me. I'm, I'm the one that wasn't happy with it. And I think maybe she just didn't want to repeat herself. So she brought mm-hmm. in another producer and I can't remember his name. I'm pretty sure he worked with Dr. Dre. Um, and so he's more of a pop producer. And, uh, so the, the next record is extraordinary machines and it, it does feel like <clears throat> almost like, uh, this, step between title and and when the pawn uh but that's not a bad thing Mm -hmm. the songs are great there's some amazing songs in there and it almost feels like that same kind of powerful vocals and 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 empathy and and confrontation all with a, a bit more stripped down sound um there's not as much of this weird ornamentation now what had happened was is the john bryan version leaked um, so I remember having both copies and I, and I, oh. and at the time I was like, Oh, I, the perfect record is a combination of the two. Cause there was some interesting ornamentation and, 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 um, arrangements on the original version, but there are definitely some great stripped down stuff on, on the new version that I love. Um, and I saw her live around that time and it really is one of my favorite concert experiences. Um, you know, she, nice. she, she really, uh, isn't a passionate performer. There are songs that she just sings and she kind of stands there and kind of writhes around and really gets into it. And she, she breaks down and cries <laughs> uh, consistently. <laughs> um, yeah. But I think that's part of it. Like, like these things mean so much to her. And she's like, I think she feels comfortable to be like, this is an intimate space and I'm sharing these things that mean so much to me with you. And I think it, rather than feeling kind of crass or, manipulative it feels like you know you're you're in on it that's so interesting because i i I mean in the history of recorded music i mean there are how many just gut-wrenching heartbreaking songs that people have sort of poured all of themselves out into and then to be able to perform it constantly throughout an entire career like you gotta i would have to imagine you get desensitized to your own shit after a while I think she got a lot of pushback. There are definitely some infamous moments where she had kind of stormed off the stage sad or, or upset about something or other. I think there's one show in particular where the sound was awful and and she kind of left after, I don't know, half hour or something like that. And I think she got some pushback for that. So there is this sort of narrative of her being too fragile. And again, a lot of the music is her pushing back against that. Um, even like her newest record, Fetch the Bolt Cutters, a lot of that is kind of directly addressing the past few years and this reckoning that we, our country has had um, with the Me Too movement. Uh, you know, and, and as I had mentioned earlier, like 
um, she was raped when she was really, really young. So I think that informs a lot of title and and a, a lot of kind of what these songs are about, her sexual assault. Idler Wheel is really great too. And, and, and obviously Fetch the Bolt Cutters just came out and, and you know, there's enough stuff online to read about it because it's so current. And um, I think I prefer that to Idler Wheel. I'd probably, I don't know. I would, it's hard because like, I think like tight, like when the pawn means so much to me. So it's hard to not say sure. it's my favorite, yeah. even if it, maybe it's not the best. I don't know. Well, I, I think best and favorite, you know, there's a big difference. Yeah. Although I think some people would argue that this is their best, but you know. Oh, no, no. I But you know, I, I think in general, I think people need to be okay with their favorite thing not being the best thing you know yeah i know what you're saying yeah um yeah i i, I think the thing with fetch the bolt cutters is it's so new so it's mm. one of those things where like I, yeah, it's exciting yeah, yeah exactly yeah yeah so uh living with it for a little longer i think um, you know you could start making those distinctions we'll be expecting uh a follow-up a hard answer one way or the other by the okay. end of the year i'll let you know so, <laughs> so what would you recommend next if you have this kind of blind spot from this time frame because of what was popular at the time, I'm going to recommend another favorite of mine who is a female singer, songwriter. Uh, her name is PJ Harvey. Have you ever listened to any PJ Harvey? No, I haven't. She's another kind of confrontational, angry, and I mean that in a good way, uh, singer. Her early stuff, her first few records are really stripped down, almost like Nirvana, um, dry mm -hmm. and rid of me. Um, just three piece, her playing guitar, bass drum drummer. Uh, and it's great. It's really noisy, gnarly. She's got this crazy voice that can be really big and 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 she screams a lot and but she can also be really delicate she has a whole record that she put out in uh 2007 called white chalk and it's just her with a piano and she, she sings most of it in falsetto so it's a big arc over her career her my favorite is stories from the city stories from the sea that came out in 2000 uh and it feels like a nice kind of combination of that kind of anger but also with uh, a bit more craft to the to the songs um and 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 Tom York pops up on a couple of tracks. So that's how, that's there how I it discovered is. it. So yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. that's the Rosetta yeah. stone for nice. me. It, it points in all directions. So, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I love her and she's still putting out, um, great music now. Um, her last record, the hope six demolition project came out in 2016. She's just an interesting artist, uh, and, uh, has a great voice. What about you? you? Have any recommendations? Uh, no, not besides my own recommendation to myself to move forward through the rest of uh, of Fiona's catalog. So do it. I'm excited to hear what yeah, you think. I will. I think I think you'll like it all. I really do. So what are we doing next time? We are talking about Superstore, yeah. which is uh, it just wrapped up its its final season uh, this year. Yeah, I believe there was six seasons. Correct. Yep, yep. Starring America Ferrara, Ferrara, not to be confused with me. We're not, we're not related. Uh, and uh, what's his name? I was going to say of all of all names to. She spells <laughs> second guess yourself. She spells on. it differently, right? Oh, okay. Uh, and what's the, what's the 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 lead's name? 
Ben. Oh yeah, what is his name? He pops up all over the place. Yeah, he was in Mad Men, correct? Ben Feldman. Yeah. Ben Feldman. Yep. I don't think of you at all. <laughs> yeah. He's he's part of that famous meme uh, from Mad Men. Uh, also with Mark McKinney uh, from Kids in the Hall. Yes, which, you know, should have been my way in, but I kept this one at an arm's length for quite a while um, until after it had finished. And then you kind of recently uh, discovered it for yourself, correct? Uh, Someone recently? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were watching live the past couple of seasons. Yeah. Um, oh, okay. But it's one of those shows where I don't, because of its lineage, uh, and and how close it is to shows like Parks and Rec in The Office, I feel like more people should be aware of it and more people would really enjoy it, but I, I don't hear people talking about it in the same way. Um, and we'll get into it in the episode, but in some ways I think it might be a better show than those shows. But again, we'll leave that for the next episode. We'll definitely tune in. We will not be taking a month off. <laughs> <laughs> We've kind of get our ducks in a row for now. We're good to go. Uh, and like we that final fantasy episode coming up though i don't know <laughs> my brother said the same thing <laughs> we need we'll we'll have to have a sideboard about that because you know what i think i think we should allow ourselves uh an exit <laughs> i mean i put 20 hours into it i think i can talk about why i'm hesitant to continue giving it that kind of time at this point in my life sounds good Sorry, I'm just like treating this like, what did we miss therapy? <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Uh, great. Well, I look forward to talking Superstar. S- super, superstar. Alrighty. Superstar. Superstar. Super Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of What Did We Miss? You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at What Did We Miss? And you can send us an email at whatdidwemisspod at gmail.com. And thanks, as always, to the Whatcheer Writers Club in downtown Providence, Rhode Island. You can learn more about them at whatcheerclub.org. And you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at whatcheerclub. <laughs>